This is episode 84 of the Landscape Photography Show. And before we get into the podcast, I just want to thank patron Tara Workman for supporting the podcast. You know, Tara's actually been on the Landscape Photography Show before, so you can go back in previous episodes and find her podcast. And we had a great discussion on her style, how she got into photography. But I want to thank her for being a supporter of the podcast every month to help the podcast continue to interview the best photographers all around the world every single week. Tara signed up and got instant access to exclusive content like bonus material from these interviews and podcast episodes that only patrons can hear. And she also got access to things like exclusive benefits and webinars. So thank you, Tara. If you want to be a patron and get that access to that exclusive content and also get benefits involved with that as well, go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston, or you can find all the information in today's show notes if you go to the podcast page of davidjohnstonart.com. Okay, let's get into the podcast episode for today, though. Today we're talking to Elise Bender, and Elise and I have really been communicating back and forth for several years now, you know, exchanging pleasantries on how good each other's photography is and what we appreciated about each other's work. And it wasn't until I did a video interview for Outdoor Photography Guide with Elise and kind of looking at her photography and and her lens choices for those is kind of the content that we did for that interview. And we set up a podcast interview after we recorded that because I enjoyed our conversation so much. Fast forward just a couple weeks and we found each other in the exact same room in Kanab, Utah at the Outsiders Conference. So what a small world that was. It was great meeting Elise in person. Even better was hearing her journey into photography, how it was a lifelong adventure in photography, how fostered interests from her youth led her down this path and what the military still does for her and her photographic business plus much more coming up. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Elise Bender, and Elise and I have talked for several years, I feel like, on social media, but just recently met in person at the Outsiders Conference, and we had actually scheduled a time to record this podcast before that, but it was, you know, it's so fun to meet actual people face-to-face instead of over DM. So Elise, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, uh, and, and welcome in. How are you doing? Thank you so very much for having me. And yes, I mean, it was so great to meet you at the Outsiders Conference and actually meet face to face because you're right. There's just something more personable about being able to do it face to face rather than, you know, just over DMs. But uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, especially after I feel like a year and a half of not seeing another human being. It, it was really nice yes. to to gather together. What in, in case... 
people are unfamiliar with you, don't know your background, why don't you share with us your story of how you got started and, and what led you to where you are right now? Okay. Well, um, so yeah, so um, I'm Elise Bender, typically just go by Bender in the field. Um, and uh, I started, I had a camera in my hand since I was about knee high, but um, really my photography career kind of kicked off back in 2013 when I separated from the Air Force and needed something that was flexible that I could take with me wherever I move because my husband is still active duty. And so we move every couple of years. Um, and so I absolutely loved photography and decided to pursue it as a career. Um, and so I spent time traveling, building my portfolio. And then in 2019, I took the plunge and went full time with it. So um, now I run a Bender Photography. What were you doing in that time of, of working at it on the side? What were you doing full time? Oh, I was doing kind of whatever I could find in the areas that we were living. So I did everything from working as an optometry technician to a, um, when I was living in Japan, I was working at the outdoor um, recreation center on base, which we did everything from leading tours in the field um, just for adventure, like hiking and, and camping to um, you know, running, we had a lake on base. So I would run during the summers, we would do boating, jet skiing, um, and, and rent out lots of equipment for outdoor. So, uh, it really kind of gave me my in the field training for things like running tours and photo, um, photo adventures, um, that then led to me adding in the photography portion when it came to my own, um, my own business. Uh, take me back to, to you said you had a camera in your hand from when you were knee high. Take me back to then. And in that experience, just playing around with a camera as a child, what did all of that, all those years teach you uh, that, that you still carry with you today? Really? I mean, I was working off of a Kodak point and shoot 35 millimeter film camera um back then i still remember it was a big clunky plastic uh, camera that was green with bright yellow buttons um <laughs> so i spent an awful lot of my allowance money down at eckerd's drugs to really develop into nothing but every once in a while i'd come home with that one that i was just so proud of and so i think you know, I wasn't necessarily learning, you know, exposure triangle or anything like that because, you know, I was a kid. I was the only person in my family that had any interest in photography. Um, the camera itself did not allow for any sort of manual operation. Um, and so really what it taught me was to explore what caught my interest and try and capture it in whatever way I could. Um, you know, obviously with film, you could choose whether you were putting in 800 speed or 400, you know, basically equivalent to the ISO nowadays. Um, so for me, those years, it was just building that interest in photography and the connection between photography and nature and what subjects that I was really interested in and how to use photography to 
get in and explore nature more so than I might have done if I was just interested in, say, hiking, you know, where I'm just, you know, cruising over miles. Um, this makes me stop, slow down, and actually, you know, study the lights, study the bugs, study the flowers, that sort of thing, um, and the interactions between them um, to find really kind of all the nitty gritty, interesting things that nature has to offer us. Do you think that's that's lost right now in photographers, just the slowdown process and, and noticing what's going on around us and really like you described your kind of infield process now harkens back to what you experienced then with that green camera and bright yellow bugs. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I would say it's lost. I think that it's something that many nature photographers are starting to come back around to. Mm. I think it was lost for a bit. Um, I think when digital came about that there was such a push to learn this new technology and everything that it can do and, you know, really hone in on, you know, getting out there and shooting this one particular image and then getting back home to edit it and, you know, really process and, and do what you can with it, pushing the, the actual technology that we may have forgotten how to slow down and why we're out there. And I think right now we're seeing a resurgence and a renewing of that interest in that aspect of the craft, which to me is really interesting and, and really uplifting to see, you know, uh, hashtag slow photography movement um, <laughs> coming back up and, and really seeing a lot more of the nature's details and uh, intimate landscapes coming about rather than just all of these, you know, epic landscapes that have, you know, every single element that possibly can be put into them um, every single time we're looking at, at social media or, or uh, photographs in whatever medium we come across them. Um, not that there's anything wrong with those, but I feel like those were very, that is what many people considered landscape photography when there's so much more that can go into it with intimate landscapes and abstracts and nature details. Um, and so I, I really am enjoying kind of the, the resurgence and the push towards slowing down and letting nature um, and your interest in nature open up the possibilities for what can be photographed. Have you ever lost your way along that line? I have. Um, at, at the start, um, when I was really kind of pushing and trying to grow to be a nature photographer, and I was, you know, looking at what was out there, and what I saw were these grand landscapes, and I started chasing the grand landscapes. And it took me quite a while to realize that's not my that's not my main objective. Um, when I started having, you know, issues where it was no longer fun for me because I wasn't in areas where there's grand landscapes all around me. Um, Northern Japan, as beautiful as it is, you know, we don't have things like the Rocky Mountains. We don't have things like, um, you know, the Oregon coast. You know, there were great images there, but I wasn't seeing them for the first year or so I was there because I was looking for that grand landscape and it just wasn't there. 
But in that process, I was overlooking so much more beauty. And I was getting frustrated with myself. I was getting frustrated with the craft. And so I really had to do some kind of soul searching and, and kind of take a break and and look and realize that I needed to be happy with what I was producing because photography made me happy. So I needed to get back to what was making me happy. And that was slowing down and letting nature come to me and bring me the opportunities rather than trying to force something out of nature that just wasn't there. Um, and so that's kind of what brought me back to my roots and brought me back to, oh, this is what makes me happy. Um, and so it brought me back to doing a lot more wildlife, a lot more macro and kind of small scene work rather than the grand landscape. Coming back to that childlike observation, we'll call it, mm -hmm. what emotional connection did that spark for you when you discovered, hey, I've been kind of basically trying to put a square peg into a round hole and now I I've figured out what I enjoy again. It was like a weight suddenly came off me, um, in all honesty. Like, for me, because I grew up in nature, I grew up, you know, looking at insects, looking for fossils in the limestone when I was growing up in Florida, um, and, and all those, like, nitty-gritty little details. When I finally got my head around not chasing those grand landscapes, which made me unhappy because even if I did find the grand landscape, it always seemed that like, you know, the weather wasn't there, you know, whatever it was to bring all of these elements that you see in such amazing grand landscape images, they just weren't ever there for me. So it made me very, very kind of angry and, and really put off. And so by being able to come back and get back to the roots, get back to that childhood, you know, why I got interested in the first place, um, really, it just felt like this big weight just lifted off of me. And there was just kind of this, this clarity, I didn't have to struggle necessarily anymore, when it came to finding subjects. Um, because they were all around me, as long as I allowed myself to consider them as subjects. Um, and so when I started shooting more to make myself happy, uh, rather than chasing what was popular, what was getting the most likes, um, getting the most followers, that sort of thing. When I actually went back to it as this is my craft and I do this essentially for me, because I'm not working for a corporation, I'm not doing you know commercial photography, I'm not doing portrait photography, I'm doing nature photography. And so I need it to work for me. And so by being able to get back to doing things like abstracts, doing things like macro, intimate landscapes, wildlife, um, I was able to make myself happy in the process and then find my niche within the industry, if you will, um, within the career field that spoke to me and I was able to find the followers, the supporters, that also enjoy what I what I'm able to produce. It, it's interesting you describe it as that because, and this is something that I'm learning right now too. If if you look at the emotional spectrum, you mentioned anger, 
the positive and negative sides of that. The negative side, if you let it foster in that direction, leads to depression. If you let it foster onto the positive side, it leads to passion. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like that passion is breathing through not only in your final images, but also in just the process of creating. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't be happier than when I'm in the field um, because that's the driving force. You know, it's about using my camera to connect what I'm seeing in nature and those experiences I'm having out there. I'm using the camera to bring those experiences back with me and putting it out there through social media, through my website, through prints to share those experiences, to share those moments in nature with others who weren't there with me. And so it really is, you know, I went through that depression stage, you know, that, that anger and depression, I did go through that. And then, you know, by opening myself up back to, you know, getting back to my roots, getting back to why I was doing this is when it started that passion kind of was rekindled. And so now, you know, I, as a business owner, I have to be in the office, but really my best, my, (laughs) my favorite days are when I'm actually able to be out there in the field and actually creating once more, because that is such a big part of that passion and that kind of my daily life kind of revolves around it. What was the moment though, when you realize that, like what was the photograph or the general trip where you said, you know what, I'm, I'm just ditching all this. Uh, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. I, I can't put my finger on, you know, a specific day or a specific image, but it was when I was in Japan. Um, we lived there for two and a half years and I had been trying to break into, um, you know, I'd been doing this semi-pro for, for a while. Um, and, you know, I got to Japan and I was like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get these epic images, these big landscape images that, you know, nobody's really ever seen because we're in an area that's kind of off the tourist path and all. And that just was not happening for me. And so I, I went through probably six, eight months of exploring and kind of, you know, it was fun just exploring and trying, you know, I was like, oh, well, I just haven't seen it yet because, you know, I'm new here. And then I kind of got into that point of, well, you know, I bet if so-and-so or so-and-so, you know, these big names um, were over here, they'd be making something of this. Mm. And I guess I'm just not good enough kind of thing. Um, And I went through that for, for another several months before I was like, you know what, I'm, I, I just need to go out and shoot. And when I just allowed myself to open up and not have a destination or an image in mind. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go. There was this place called Arasi Gorge and it was maybe 45 minute drive from my house. And it was a 14 kilometer wooded gorge with this stream through it. Absolutely beautiful, but it wasn't a grand landscape. Um, you know, they weren't waterfalls like you see in the Pacific Northwest, but they were really nice waterfalls. Um, and there was about 14 of them 
14, 15 of them all in this one gorge. And I just allowed myself to go up there day after day, just taking whatever image I could. And I came back with a bunch of images that I just really loved. They're more intimate landscapes, you know, or river scenes with a lot of foliage and, you know, long exposures with moving water. But I just really started reconnecting at that point with nature, you know, being out there for, you know, six, eight hours in a day and just shooting whatever, whatever crossed my path, you know, not every image turned out well, but just kind of reopening myself to shooting what was there rather than going with this preconceived notion that I had to get this grand landscape with rivers and trees and mountains and a spectacular sky, um, you know, uh, and just kind of allowing nature to be there and me capture that experience. I do want to come back to Japan in just a minute because it's clear it has a special place in your life. It, it does. <laughs> um, I, I, let's go back, though, to, to when you were a kid. It, mm-hmm. Would you say that you, you mentioned that, you, that no one else in your family had an interest in photography, but somehow you wound up with a camera? Was that an influence from your parents or were they fostering an interest and kind of helping you through that, even though they didn't share the same interest? So they were absolutely um, fostering an interest that I had. Um, my, my mother in particular was very good about getting us outside. You know, she would take us hiking at the local parks. We would go to, you know, the, the pioneer days and all this. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of getting us out in nature, me and my sister. Um, and I don't know exactly where, where the camera, you know, came in. It was a long time ago. Um, (laughs) but I do remember when I got that camera, like that was it. I mean, I took to that, like, you know, a fish to water where I still remember I had that camera to the point where I had broken the back door on it and I was like having to when I would change my roll of film I would duct tape the door shut in order to continue using it kind of thing so um you know basically once I had that camera in my hand I don't know how they came about deciding that that was my interest and so they got me the camera but once they did I mean that was it end game like that was it that 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 determined the rest of my life, basically. Um, and and so um, I just, I was always very uh, appreciative of the time that, you know, that we would have when we would be out um, in nature, whether it was we were going to a local state park or hiking um, or even, you know, just in our backyard um, and, and that upbringing with, a focus on nature and being outdoors. Um, I'm very, very appreciative of that at this time. Um, but they also did other things like, you know, uh, you know, I, I was sent to, you know, a summer camp that specialized in art. And so I got to do a lot of other creative outlets as well and try my hand in other medians. Um, but they always fostered that creative side for me. Um, and then photography was just always what I came back to. Well, I wonder too, I, I, I know 
that in certain development stages, children have a difficult time of it, of, of relaying their emotions or expressing or putting a finger on, on what they're actually feeling. I, I wonder if that just helped you kind of tell your parents, tell your sister, your friends, the world, what kind of emotions you're feeling and, and helped you kind of have an outlet through that. Quite possibly. I mean, I didn't really show off my pictures. I was uh-huh. rather, I was, I was very much an introvert and still am somewhat. Um, I've had to work to get over it, but I was very much an introvert um, growing up. And so it, it, it is quite possible that that was the way to get me out because otherwise my, when I was young, the other thing that I did was I would read and I would mm-hmm. read like, I could be in my room the entire day just reading and go through a book kind of thing. So the camera was what kind of pulled me out, got me outside. Um, and so I think that that connection, um, you know, my parents fostered that a lot because otherwise I would just be trapped with books. Still not a bad thing, but, (laughs) 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 um, you know, it, it just got me out a bit further. And while they would love to see me go more in a, a STEM route, which I did for quite a while, I tried going the STEM route for quite a while and, and was rather successful in it with, um, with some science and, and engineering. The creative part of me was always there. And when I was in those STEM areas, it kind of kind of ate at me you know I still wanted to do that creative side and I think photography is a great mesh of the two and that might also be why I'm drawn to this particular medium because it it satisfies both my scientific side of the mind you know with the technical with you know having to read the light having to be a naturalist when it comes to you know understanding your subjects and things like that while it also provides an outlet for that creative side and wanting to, to create pretty things and, and, you know, use emotions and show others what I'm experiencing in this life. Last book you read was what? Um, Oh, I've been doing a lot of where the water goes um, by um, David Owen. I've been doing a lot of reading on uh, water in the West and um, water conservation and kind of the history behind the water wars and things like that out in the West. It's um, something that caught my attention when I was living in Vegas um, because, well, in all honesty, I, I love Vegas. I just, there's something about it that just, and I'm not talking necessarily like the strip, but just the area in right. general. Um, <laughs> the strip I figured, has, I figured anyone who says that they're an introvert would steer far away from the strip. It, you know, it's got really good show. Well, pre-COVID, it has really good shows and really good food. Um, but 20 minutes, I can be in the Red Rock Canyons. Mm. Um, and, and so it. It satisfies again. It's it's a good compromise. It satisfies both. I can do the high life when I want to, but easily escape into the desert when I don't. Um, and so, 
I absolutely love Vegas, but when my husband and I are talking about where we want to retire, where we want to have a home base when he gets out of the military, and we're like, well, we would love to settle in Vegas, but we don't know what the water situation is going to be mm. in 15 or 20 years. That's to me, that's disturbing. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to know more about it and why there's such an issue with water in the West. Um, and it's been some very interesting reading Cadillac desert. And I don't know the author off the top of my head, but Cadillac desert is another one that was, that was one of the first ones I read. And that was just eye opening with some of the statistics and some of the history behind the water laws and water agreements across the Western states and how they got put in place and the shady stuff that went down. Um, so, yeah, so I still do a lot of reading. Um, it's just more, it, it's less fantasy and a lot more on the natural and conservation side of the house. Why you mentioned your husband being in the military. I know you also served in the Air Force. Wh yes. Why did you decide to go that route? Well, yeah, um, I basically I needed to get out of Florida. Um, life <laughs> situations were were what they were. And I didn't want to go into debt for student loans. Um, and I knew I needed to further my education beyond the uh, AA that I had uh, when I was in Florida. And um and so I said, you know what, military's not looking all that bad at that point. And so I, in the space of six months, I went from, no, I would never do that to, okay, I'm here. Let's get through basic. Um, <laughs> so uh, kind of once I put my mind to something, that's the direction I go. There's not really any hesitation on that part. So um I did. I, I went to basic training October of 2009, and I was in the Air Force um, until October of 2013. And um, those four years, I'll, I'll never regret it. I was able to get my bachelor's um, without going to debt. Uh, and I got bit by the travel bug at that time, you know, before, you know, I thought travel was, oh, I live in Florida, so I'm going to go up to the Smoky Mountains, which don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the Smoky Mountains. It's it's always going to be a special place in my heart because that's where photography really took off for me. Um, but, you know, to me, that was travel. Um, but the military stationed me in Guam, tiny Pacific Island, um, that's closer to Japan than it is the States. Um, you know, Japan's a three and a half hour flight, whereas Hawaii is a seven hour, seven and a half hour flight. So you can only imagine how long the flight is from Guam to the actual lower 48. Mm -hmm. um, so when there, it's a very small island. So I used my leave to explore Asia and I did a three week backpacking trip solo in Thailand. Um, and I just, I just fell in love with travel. And so then I kind of decided I was going to combine the two and do travel and photography. Um, and I've loved it ever since. And now I'm a tumbleweed. I don't think I could ever really plant roots any one place. 
Looking back on that experience, what did the military teach you about being like a business owner like you are now with your photography? I think the military gave me the discipline. Um, I really, you know, it taught me that I just need to get stuff done even if I don't like it. So, you know, those days in the office that I don't particularly care for, I still get them done because they need to get done. Um, and I know that, you know, the military taught me that as much as it may, I may not like a day, that it may suck, that I'll get through it and there will be better things on the other side. Um, and... And so I think it just really kind of instilled that as well as the confidence. Um, the military is a great confidence builder in, in all honesty mm. um, because they do push you uh, and, and push you rather hard um, to get through things and work through obstacles, um, not just physical, but mental. And so I really, you know, those four years not only taught me the trip, you know, that, that I love travel, but they also gave me that, that discipline to get work done, get it done in a timely manner and, and push through situations that I might not be comfortable with. So getting outside my comfort zone is not really an issue anymore. I can get outside my comfort zone rather easily because my comfort zone has expanded quite a bit because I have those tools, um, both mental and, and physical to get through an awful lot of obstacles, whatever, you know, life might throw at me. Can you learn that though, not going through the military? I think so. Um, I think it's a bit harder if you're trying to teach it to yourself because we humans just in general, we don't particularly like to push ourselves outside our comfort zone. Um, but I definitely think it can be taught. Um, it just takes a bit more. The military doesn't give you an option. <laughs> um, uh, not really. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not saying that the military is the only way to go because I don't think that, that at all. Um, you just have to have that drive to want to get better and know where your weaknesses are in order to to basically shore them up to to make it so that you're either aware of those weaknesses and know how to counteract them or you make it so that they aren't weaknesses anymore so the next stop for you was japan why why does japan hold such a special place in, in your heart and in your life Oh, that's, I absolutely loved it over there. I don't know exactly why, but I mean, it just absolutely everything over there, the culture, the people, the landscape, the wildlife, it just was, I won't say vastly different than what I grew up with, but it was certainly different. Um, the fact that their entire culture is built around respect over money, there's, 
there's just something so, I don't know, it, I want to say freeing about it. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that if you leave your phone or your wallet on a train, you can come, you know, and you don't find out until later that evening, you can go back to that train station and they will help you find it. Like sometimes it won't have even been moved from the seat that you were sitting in. Um, there's, there's a layer of wariness. Um, some people would call it fear that we have here in the U S with just other people, you know, the fact that if you're by yourself, you don't want to leave your purse sitting on a table while you go to the restroom in a restaurant. Um, whereas in Japan, there's not that. Like, I can easily leave my purse on a table in Japan, use the restroom in the same building, and come back and not have to worry. Um, especially in the portion part of Japan that I was in, um, up in uh, the northern Honshu area, so the main island of Honshu. We were in the north area in Aomori Prefecture. Um, so there's not, there's just a level of, there's a lot less energy that has to be used. You know, I, I think that's what it really comes down to is it's just a more comfortable way of being, of living. Um, and it's hard to put your finger on it until you actually start sitting down and thinking what the differences are. Um, Photographically speaking, though, do that same level of respect. Um, and you talked about conservation and, and how important that is to you mm -hmm. as well. Do you see the same the same attributes and viewpoints going into not only conservation and, and nature and respect for that, but also respect for the creative process and putting more emphasis on that over money? So I think that within the culture there, the respect for artists is very high. Hmm. Um, craftsmen, I mean, that's that historically... Um, they have held high positions in, in society and maybe a bit less in today's commercial, global commercialism, but um, they still do have high respect over there. Um, conservation wise, you know, that's probably where I would ding them. They do a ton when it comes to like recycling and such, but um, some of the ways they treat nature, they not necessarily the best either. So, mm -hmm. you know, no perf no place is perfect. Um, and, and I'll just put that out there. No place is perfect. I know that there are issues um, within Japan, um, both with the societal because also with the long culture there's um still quite a bit of of sexism and and things like that going on in that culture so i won't you know disagree on that um but from a conservation standpoint yeah i mean they do still do whaling they still you know so there are big issues still to be found um but 
That being said, you go out, you go on their trails and they're very well maintained. You don't hardly see any trash. Um, you know, there was a tiny wrapper and I bent down to pick it up and I actually had two women come over to me who saw me do it. And they're like, oh, thank you so very much. You know, um, like just because I was taking care of nature. I mean, it's something that I do on the trails here all the time, but over there I can stick it in my pocket. Whereas here I have to carry a trash bag with me, mm-hmm. you know, so there, there are differences. Um, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint. Because, yeah, I mean, there's there's positives and negatives, but I think the big one is that there's that layer of it's just a bit easier when you don't have to worry about the people around you. Um, that I think unless you've lived there uh, or traveled there extensively, it's hard to understand how big of a difference it can make on somebody. Did you become a big Kabuki fan while you were there? No. <laughs> no okay. Was it, was it difficult <laughs> though, coming back to the States and eating our sushi? It was difficult coming back to the States in general. I did have reverse culture shock. Um, yep. I, I really did. Um, and the sushi Vegas actually, pretty good sushi yeah. um san antonio not so much <laughs> <laughs> which makes me sad but um uh i you know there's still there's enough uh japanese americans japanese immigrants who have come over here and normally you can find some really amazing japanese food here in the states that kind of reminds me very much is is very close to what you actually get in Japan. So um, I try and find those locations. So there's places in Monterey, California, where I've lived. There's places in Vegas, uh, places in, in Tucson and Phoenix that I enjoy when I'm visiting those locations. So I've, I've really tried to find them here in San Antonio since we only just moved here um, this past December. Um, and with everything going on, I have not been out um, as much as I normally would be trying to find these types of places. So I haven't given up on San Antonio yet. Just haven't found it yet. You know, we I feel like we've unpacked so much about your past. Looking towards the future, what, what do you have coming up that you're excited about in photography? So I'm... I'm really quite excited to get back out in the field. Um, you know, my biggest, the, the biggest part of photography for me is connecting viewers, connecting other photographers with nature, the way that I see it, the way that I have interacted with it for so many years and having them have those types of experiences. So um, starting, I'm, with with vaccine rollout and everything starting to starting to open up i won't say get back to normal but starting to at least open up with travel um i'm really excited to get back out in the field later this year um at least domestically um with with clients with friends out in the field shooting again um in in groups so um still small groups you know anywhere from four to six um is is about the max that i normally go out with because um and that was even pre-covid because again being aware of how 
an experience is changed by the number of people you share it with at that time. You know, you can only have so many people photographing a fox before the fox understands that there are people here and he either wants to go or he's going to become more inquisitive. And we've kind of uh, messed with that balance where we are just supposed to be observers um, rather than participants in what we're taking pictures of. Um, so I, I'm really excited to get back out in the field and be back out on the road traveling Um uh, and then next year, I actually, I have an order in for a little teardrop trailer. So hopefully I'll be on the road even more next year. So um, it's, it's looking up for the future. That's, I'm very hopeful for it. Where can people go to find more out about you? So um, you can find me on my website, abenderphotography.com or on social media under abenderphoto. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram, more on the Instagram. So please hit me up on Instagram if you're over there. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the two best places to find me on, on the web. So abenderphotography.com and abenderphoto on Instagram. Um, or you can find me in the field. Check out on my website for upcoming photo adventures. And um, I'd love to have you sign up on my newsletter. Uh, that way you can figure out where I'm going to be. And um, if I'm hosting any just free meetups, um, which I will sometimes be doing as well in the coming years, um, or sign up for one of the photo adventures. Well, thank you, Elise. She's Elise Bender. Definitely go and find her on those. Thank you so much for joining us and talking photography. Thank you so very much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. So I have some good news for you. The podcast isn't really over. Well, it's over here, but you can still go over to patreon.com slash David Johnston and listen to more from this episode, specifically some reflections on Elise's journey into photography and some of the things that we talked about in this interview, like fostering interest from a young age, how you can do that and how you can do that in other photographers as well reading on issues like water conservation and how you can work those things into the themes, the underlying themes of your photography, respect over money and discipline and photography, how those two things go hand in hand, or maybe they kind of don't. I share my thoughts on those. If you go over to patreon.com slash David Johnston, you can support the podcast, continue to churn out episodes like this week after week with photographers like Elise, getting their information on how they got into photography and also getting some benefits in doing so, like exclusive audio content, exclusive webinars, and some exclusive gifts just from me. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Head over to patreon.com slash David Johnston to continue this podcast episode.